Hi, I'm Father. And I'm a liar. So (laughs) I, months ago, I said I would record an episode and publish it in Dolby Atmos. And you may be asking, why hasn't that happened yet? Turns out learning how to master in an entire different like set of channels is a lot more work than I thought it was, which I mean, is not, it's not like, it's, I mean, yes, audio engineering is a real job and is real labor and it's probably maybe even more important than the actual like singing or songwriting part of music if we're gonna yeah and i think it gets downplayed a lot because it's a lot it's a lot of fucking work to make something sound good like you know i'm not saying good engineering could save like a calamari record right like let's be real like i don't think good mixing could save it but it could make it palatable it could make it listenable like you could like technically listenable you know like the lowest bar of music can have but but it definitely though for some records right it's very much like uh it makes it more fun right and i I think using words like that sometimes confusing for music because what does fun mean and by that it means it's not doesn't sound flat right it sounds dynamic you can hear the bass you can feel the bass you can still hear the hi-hats right and while still being able to decipher the vocals like there's an art in that of mixing and so um Adobe Atmos tools, I mean, they're really good in, in logic. I'm I'm very happy with them. But it's just something that um it's just something that I need to spend more time working on and, and getting better with. And so um I do not have any real release date for Adobe Atmos episode. Uh so- someday, someday, but um for now, you know, we I feel like it's gonna it's gonna be the episode where where we review a Cali Mari album and you make it Adobe Atmos. No, 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 no. That's not how that works. Um, but speaking about, stop. <laughs> I'm, I'm stopping you this time. We're not going down that rabbit hole. But this is episode 179 of Shades of Brown. And, and this week, we're going to start by, I think, um, you know, it, it's it's tech roll, you know, tech April, tech roll, as the kids call That's it. And so we're <laughs> going to begin by talking about Wi-Fi routers. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, so... This whole saga has been the weirdest, like, like it's just complication after weird complication by your whole HomeKit router setup. So I think to, like, preface this whole thing, I think we need to explain, I guess we need to, like, overview, like, what HomeKit Secure is, because I feel like maybe our audience, like, doesn't know what HomeKit Secure, like, is actually doing. So HomeKit Secure, it creates... Uh, so HomeKit is like a it's like a proprietary Apple thing, but what it does, like HomeKit Secure, is what it does. It creates a separate VLAN. I'm guessing using MDNS. I think is what it's called. It. I don't. You probably know a little bit more about MDNS than I do. I mean, I mean MDNS. Yeah, MDNS. Apple has been using MDNS for a long time. So the so the difference here is that all of this, uh, lo, so all of this local like in and of things traffic right from from the light bulbs from whatever like from your door from whatever else is on on the home kit secure network so all of this gets put in one vlan that is local only that does not have uh internet access and only device well you can actually customize it too so i think maybe to explain it a different way home kits so home kit devices are smart devices right and how it works right now is if you did not have like a home kit router they can in theory you know there's devices on your Wi-Fi network, full internet access, you know, they can do whatever they want. Of course, you could, you know, limit it based off your router, but that's all manual. You have to go into your router settings to, you know, limit like it leaving the network, those sorts of things. And not a lot of consumer routers let you do that. I know like, you know, enterprise stuff can let you keep something local, right, on Wi-Fi, but not leave the actual, you know, go out to the actual internet, not something consumer routers support. So what HomeKit Secure does is essentially, as Sadik was saying, creates a separate VLAN for the HomeKit devices to talk to 
which then interfaces with a home hub. So that's either an Apple TV, an iPad, or a HomePod. And what the home hub does is basically facilitates any network connections between the smart home devices and your Apple devices, the internet, whatever you want. Because you have three modes. You have restricted, which basically means you can have it only talk to local devices and no outside network connections. This You still, however, can issue like turning on the lights when you're um, not home. It just gets sent. Your Apple TV does the facilitating of it, right? So if you use your iPhone to turn on the lights, it goes to the TV, and then the TV bounces that command to the bulb. Right. So you have like a sort of sort of uh, like a what is what is when in networking like sort of security terms, it's like a bastion host. So you have like a host that's sitting like that has access to the rest of the network, and through a secure method, like for example, like I'm guessing the coming like there's like some sort of HTTPS tunnel or whatever to to the to the home hub device. Uh, and then you send a command there, and then then it, then it like authenticates you and like sends the command like through the other. So in this way, it's like this way. This way, you don't have to worry about the security of the individual HomeKit appliances, right? Like you don't have to worry that, say, for example, like some light bulb gets uh, hacked uh, and compromised and becomes a botnet thing. So that's so you don't have to worry about it because none of this shit is actually like accessible from the public internet. Uh, right. I mean, you can turn it off if you want, though, right? You can set it to no restrictions, if, but you get different tiers of it with um with a HomeKit. So, like, for example, there's an automatic mode, which only whitelist firmware updates, right? So it's like only firmware updates will be able to come through to the device, but everything else gets blocked. But so, I mean, I what I do is because I uh, maybe own devices that are like super cheap on Amazon that I do not trust. The reason I use a HomeKit secure router is I don't want any of it talking to the internet. My I, I have a couple of rules for smart home devices. One, can be ran totally local. Two, have physical buttons on them, right? Those are those are my rules for smart home devices. The bulbs, I need a way to turn them on without using my voice, you know, for a speaker assistant or an app on my phone. And I need it to not be able to talk to the internet. And HomeKit's the only one that gives you both of those because right now, some Alexa devices can do it. Some Google Home can, but for the most part, it's usually round trip, right? From the server to that, to there. Right. And you already have, you already have like home, like you're, you're already in the Apple ecosystem. So it's like, oh yeah, like the HomeKit integration works better now uh, in either way, either case, right? Like it's like you, you already, like your Apple devices all speak HomeKit. Uh, so it's, it's like, it's, it's already built in. So it's built into iOS. It's built into uh, iPad OS. It's built into Mac OS. So like, it's like, is it built into Mac OS? It, and it works pretty well. And it actually, it's in Mac OS. There's a home app in Mac OS, but it also works pretty well. Like I have actually, I know we're, I'm starting explaining HomeKit because it's going to, we're going somewhere with this. There's actually more of this Wi-Fi story, but an explanation of HomeKit secure router is needed first. So it's worked relatively well. I've actually not had issues with HomeKit. But I've had issues with other parts of my Wi-Fi network. So at work, this chat software we use, and I've been having this weird problem where it'll just blip randomly and disconnect. And like, it's, you know, I've done all the standard troubleshooting, right? You know, different cables, different switches, you know, reset the router, did all that. And it still just happens randomly. And so I got to the point where I'm like, this is getting annoying enough. Let me just try and buy a new router. Like, you know, we... Worked with IT, did all that, even you know, re- factory set the entire computer. So basically, it's something between how that computer is talking to the router. And I use an Eero, which for the most part has been okay. I mean, it is a dual band Wi Fi 6 router. So it only peaks at like 500 megabit per second on Wi Fi for most of my devices, but that's fine. You know, you don't really need. I, I hate people who are like, I can't get 700 down. Wi Fi is useless. Like, you don't need 700 down, my dude, on Wi Fi. 
<laughs> if you have a mission critical application that needs 700 down, you should be hardwiring it. That's the end of the story. Um, but so, you know, I was looking at routers and then I'm like, okay, so yeah, let's, let me just replace it with another HomeKit secure router because it, the thing about HomeKit secure is when you set up a device with a HomeKit secure router, it does not get its Wi-Fi credentials saved. It gets a passphrase that facilitates a communication between it and the router. So it does not. So you, I'd have to factory reset all of my home, smart home devices if I wanted to reconnect them to a non HomeKit secure router, which I don't. I don't blame HomeKit secure from because I understand it's a part of the protocol, right? To obfuscate as much from outside devices. So that makes sense to me as why they do that technically. So our issue is now what other HomeKit secure routers exist. There's literally how many did you say? Three or two? Three in existence right now. Uh, three in existence. So and- Eero Pro, Eero, and a Linksys Velope router that Apple sells on the Apple Store. I did not realize. So you could also, you technically, and someone's going to mention it, use Homebridge of Ubiquity. First and foremost, I, yes, you could use Homebridge of Ubiquity, but... No, okay, okay. Let me let me kill that discussion right now. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm just going to say, Ubiquity is a shit company. You, like, don't, don't buy their soft like, products. Just, just stop buying their products because it's like, at some point, their products were good. Like, they were... Cheap, they were decently priced, reasonably priced for consumers. Like they were like sort of pro, they were like sort of the prosumer networking class gear for like the, their access points, their, their gateways, their, their routers, like the edge router, edge router eight. Uh, like those were pretty like friendly, but the software over time, it's sort of like stagnated and the new versions of the software are like extremely buggy. Uh, and, and this ubiquity as a company is bad. They, they recently, uh, sued a journalist, uh, Brian Krebs, uh, for, for reporting on, uh, reporting on, on the sort of uh, security breach that happened. Yeah, some people might remember this, but there's, it's, 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 it's not, they're not a good company. The company is run by a person, uh, the CEO has the majority of uh, shares in the company, which means that he controls the company basically. So uh, it's not it's not a good company. So do, do not do not like if you want to suggest a solution like Homebridge. Well, I was going to say Homebridge doesn't do shit for HomeKit Secure. That was actually my next point. Homebridge speeds. So every time I mention HomeKit on Mastodon, someone always asks me if like, oh, why don't you try Homebridge? For I obviously I, t- I can tell you actually don't use HomeKit because. What Homebridge does is simply just lets you loop in non-HomeKit smart home devices into HomeKit. It has nothing to do with HomeKit secure. So Homebridge doesn't actually help in this situation, but you, in theory, could use Ubiquity and create your own VLAN for it. But that's a no, no. I that's a that, I mean, so you're like this is the thing. I don't think people realize like creating your own VLAN, maintaining that sort of infrastructure, like that's not for everybody. Like not everybody's going to be able to do that, and. Wikity does not make it like entirely very easy to do that either. Like it's 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 available in the web UI. Maybe we might have to dive into command line, which I don't know if you really want to. If and the thing is, if it breaks, by the way, if it breaks, I don't know if you're going to be able to troubleshoot a uh, uh, some sort of weird like Jerry rig together like VLAN setup. I, you definitely can't call Apple about it. Be no, like, hey, you, cannot call setup, anybody, you cannot call anybody. You cannot call anybody. That's all on you. Yeah. But. So the point here being that, um, firstly, I'm not by I un, we run I run we run a tech podcast. I know th- I know about computers, but Wi-Fi routers and networking in general is the one section that it just breaks my brain, and I don't want to learn about. Like it is, there are some things I am okay not 
understanding at least at like a functional level, of course, but I am okay not being like the person who go into the command line, go into a bunch of system folders and edit stuff like that version of like using a computer. That's not me with a Wi-Fi router. I will buy the most consumer Wi-Fi router. I will just, I want one that I just push a button and it works and I do not want to think about it because it hurts my brain to work on Wi-Fi routers. It, genu- it genuinely does. It is bad. Networking is bad. It's black magic and I'm okay with that. <laughs> So 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 you bought this Linksys Vanellop AX four thousand four two four two forty two hundred triband uh, mesh Wi Fi six system. Uh, and what has been have have what is the what is the verdict after you bought this Linksys uh, system? I'm actually curious, like how like overall like the Linksys setup process and like the Linksys device itself, like is it? All right, is it fine? Like, actually, as an aside, firstly, it's actually cheaper on the Apple Store than the Linksys. I'm gonna put the Apple Store link in there. I only paid two. I paid two fifty for it. Uh, yeah, and so on the Apple Store, it's three hundred, three hundred dollars. Yeah, on the Apple Store, it's three hundred dollars. Uh, you know, it's three hundred. Okay, you might be on the Canadian site. For oh me, yeah, it might in be, the U.S., yeah, yeah. it's three hundred U.S. on the Linksys site, and it was two fifty is what I paid for it on the Apple Store. Yeah, so it's, I'm seeing three hundred on the Linksys site as well uh, for the, the U.S. version. So three hundred U.S. dollars, which is that is a lot for. Uh, yes, yeah, so I paid two fifty for it, which is uh, so also you, still a lot. I'm, yeah, I'm not saying you should buy this no, router, but no, if you yeah. did, buy it from the Apple Store. Yeah. Um, uh, well, so Apple Store has better refund policies, but that's a different story. Um, so. With regards to this Linksys router, so at first I had issues where once per day the Wi-Fi would just cut out for like half an hour, but like it was also Ethernet devices. Everything would just pause for half an hour. I mean, it's a Wi-Fi router setup, right? So that was pretty easy. You know, just gave it the same name, SSID name, same password, everything hopped back on it. Not much of a problem there. And so I then went down uh, a rabbit hole. So I had that happen. I'm like, ah, fuck. Let me return this and I'll just put back the Euro, right? And, you know, whatever, like, because I having that chat app blip out is less of a problem than having everything stop working for half an hour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's worse. That's worse. Yeah. So I would switch back to the Eero. And then I ran into a fun problem. It would not let me set up HomeKit in the Eero app. So and this this goes into and I just want to say up front, the guy I was talking to at Eero, you're a cool dude. He's Eero is one of those companies where their tier two support does not take phone calls and only is a chat escalation queue for tier one. So you have to stay on the phone with you. So he like I came in and I, you know, I, you know, I've done a lot of tech support. So I came up with a bullet point list. I'm like, hey, man, here's the issue. Bop, 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 bop. Here's what I've done. And he's like, oh, <laughs> he's like, I think you've done everything. <laughs> he's like, I like, he's like, I, I can tell you're technical enough. Let me just reach out to someone senior. I'm like, yeah, that's fair. Like, you know, hey, no, no worries, man. I, I get it. Like this, how many people do you have calling with home kit security? Right, like, you yeah. know, probably a little. Like, I, I, no, no worries. That's probably your main cause of probably just telling people put like, you know, their Wi-Fi password on their ties and TV. Yep, exactly. So, so, so you know, went ahead and spoke to him for like an hour, and they were like, yeah. So my tier two saying you should like delete your home. And I was like, listen, dude, do you know how many devices I have? And he's like, yeah, that's what they're saying. And I'm like, so as an alternative, I did make a test home and switched it to my test home called Potatoes. I made a test home because you make multiple homes because I guess you know, if you're rich or whatever, and you have multiple homes. But you can make multiple homes in the HomeKit app, right? In the Home app. So sure. I made a new one, called it Potatoes, switched every, you know, just switched my iPhone over to that home and then still tried to activate HomeKit Secure for that new home. It didn't work. And he's like, yeah, they said that's not good enough. You have to reset it. I'm like, I'm only doing this once, but sure. Because at this point, if HomeKit Secure is not working, I'm factory setting all my devices anyways, right? To get them on the Euro. So I did it, set up an app. Um, did you know, by the way, if you um, delete your home, 
all of your home pods reset at once oh that's uh i didn't realize that and all i heard was you know the bong sound when they turn on for the first time <laughs> oh my i heard that in every room that i have it in at once i scared the shit out of me and so went ahead and did that and immediately got met with an error saying it could not be added to HomeKit. and he's like oh i think this is an apple problem i'm like okay fair i'm like let's prove that theory then I have a Linksys router that the only other home kit actually own all the home kit secure routers. Surprise. So let me go ahead and grab that one and plug it in real quick and see if it lets me hook it up. And it does. And then he's like, yeah, my tier two says we can't do anything. It's an Apple problem at this point. And I'm like, but the other home kit router works fine. I mean, it still might be an Apple problem. I just think maybe. Well, no, 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 no. It's not one because on how home kit works on the technical side is a token's like generated, right? And it's generated by the router. So it's, it's, you switch the router, not creating a new token, and at least that, that's what it's here to said as well. Like oh, it's here to okay. like, yeah, okay. we're generating okay. the router. Your router's not generating a new token. I'm like, why can't y'all do it? But I was an hour and a half on the phone, so I gave up. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing something is broken on the Euro Euro for, uh, software, where it's just like stuck in some sort of loop. I'm guessing where it can't. Like, well, I mean, they abandoned HomeKits anyways because the new uh, 6E routers okay, that, they put out, they they are not supporting HomeKit. Uh, that explains any new a lot of further. things. That explains everything. <laughs> That's that's probably why. That's probably why it doesn't like actually work right now because it's like it's probably like nobody maintains this branch of the code anymore, and it's just like there's all these bugs in it probably. So you know, yeah. So you know, went back to the links this one, and I so I was like, you know, let's just factory set and set this links this one from scratch. I'm already three hours in a router troubleshooting. You know, let me just crack open a beer and cry, and while setting up a Wi-Fi router, like whatever. <laughs> yeah, and, sounds- so the difference I did this time, though, because I've actually have not had any issues with this Linksys one ever since I factory set it. So the difference okay. is, one, it's running the latest firmware because it came out of the box of firmware that didn't support HomeKit. So I had to update it after the fact to get that support okay. in. Yeah, that's So I sense. reset it using the latest firmware. And I know you nor I have any explanation for this. So what I was doing is I was using like a 10-foot um, Ethernet cable from the modem to the router, which I've never had any problems with a cable. I've used it on multiple devices. And it just... I, I was like, you know, let me just put it right next to the modem and use a built the cable that came with it. And so using the cable that came with it and factory setting it, it has been perfect since then. I've had no complaints. I mean, I actually do get 700 down on my phone on Wi-Fi because it's tri-band. Um, so it's, you know, I it is it is not a bad router. I mean, it's passively cooled. Um, you know, it doesn't get too warm. Yeah, I mean, most, most consumer routers are passively cool. Oh, no, the Eero gets toasty. The Eero gets really toasty. Is is the Eero is the Eero not? What do you mean? Like it has fans in it? Like is the, no, it doesn't have fans. It oh, should though. It should. And I like <laughs> I've asked them before, and they're like, yeah, that's it's passively cooled at the bottom, so it might get warm there, but it's fine. I guess it's like the Qualcomm chip they're using because all Qualcomm chips run hot. I um, that's, I mean <laughs> those chips can run pretty hot. It's it's probably fine. I just like it's probably like if you put it in like a hot hot room it probably won't last very long like it'll die fast but no i've had the Eero on my carpet once when i first moved here i didn't have a table it would shut off randomly because of overheating you have to have it on a table this links this one does like a chimney vent style where like that's why it's tall right the top is all holes so if you put your hand on top you'll feel heat being passively sent up through the heat sink that is i think a far better way to cool heat than the bottom that's smart that's that's a smarter design it, it looks like the Xbox Series X. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like the Xbox Series X, except it, it, it doesn't have any fans. So it's okay. That's, that's I mean, that's a better design, at least. But so the only thing that I you know, would complain about this uh, Linksys router is, I mean, they're apps, whatever, but you don't really do that much network management to begin with. Um, it's that they don't support any sort of smart queue management features, which the Eero did. Now, I know you're about to tell me that buffer bloat does not matter, but... 
I got an A plus with the Eero and I get a B plus with this router on the buffer bloat test. I a buffer bloat is one of those things that it feels more like one of those uh I mean buffer bloat is is a thing. It's it's not like a boogeyman or like it's not a made up thing. I so I think we should actually explain buffer bloat first too before we go into into this. Okay, so buffer bloat is 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 an issue that happens in what is what it what in packet switched networks, which means literally every every networking device uh, that you have access to is a pa- you're on a packet switch network, which means all packets get switched, right? Like that's the, literally what packet switch network. So every packet switch network, there every device on a packet switch network. So like for example, a switch, uh, like a port on a switch, uh, a port on a router, a port on your uh on your on your computer every device has what is known as a buffer right where packets come in they get put in the buffer and then they get processed right like by the by the network interface card or network interface soc or whatever whatever is processing the network interface network interface traffic right like that that processes the queue there's a queue of traffic right uh what buffer bloat is is when the buffer gets full and there is an ex- excess of packet like packets in the buffer it causes high latency and jitter, uh, which which can cause uh, which can re- which can reduce like overall network throughput as packets get like like packets take longer to process, packets get dropped possibly, you know, uh, like like when when a router or a switch has like excessively large buffers like this, like they, it it can like cause like even like very high high speed networks to get slow, uh, especially for stuff like. Stuff like that has a lot of packets, like you know, voice over IP, uh, audio streaming, you know, gaming, and you know, stuff like that. Uh, it's I don't know how much of it is. It's, it's an issue on uh, maybe on home networks uh, on slower internet connections, like on DSL or or uh, satellite internet connections where latency is already like pretty bad. Uh, there or uh, maybe like uh 500 megabits or lower per second wi-fi networks with like 20 40 you know 30 devices on it i would say yeah that might might be the case it's it depends on a, it's like it depends on a lot on, on in in the case of in your case so sqm sqm smart queue management is which what it does is is manages like uh manages the buffer like in a i forget actually i don't remember smart queue management um yeah, there's a there's a I'm gonna put a link from the there's a Buffer Bloat website which has like a yeah I have it in the show notes already. So what's in the show notes? There's uh two tests. There's a built-in one to macOS and iOS. If um to support at article at, about it, you just run network quality in the terminal, and then there is a another one run ran in a browser, and that one can be ran you know on all devices. I'm not sure if Microsoft has one built in on Windows in the terminal, but um there are there are some you know some some tests there. And like I said, I get a B on this, and I get a high on Apple's tool. So I mean, it's still it's fine. I'm not I'm not complaining too much about it, but it's just um that's like just one of the features it has a downside to. So, but I have gigabit internet anyway, so it's really not. I think your your network. I I, I don't. I think your your router is good enough where buffer load even without SQM is probably even if it happens, it's not really like a big deal. Uh, so it's not like really affecting the quality of the network too much. Yeah, and all, all the devices that are really high bandwidth and priority, you know, are, are wired anyways, right? The Xbox, my Max. Um, I mean, our- I mean, uh, buffer bloat can affect wired networks just in a different way, right? Like it affects it at, the, at a point of the switch. 
a part of the router. But it's less, so, I think it's less so because I'm not dealing with the overhead of also Wi-Fi, right? You know, so. Yeah, I mean, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi creates extra latency in general, obviously, so. Uh, yeah, and anyways, I'm on a cable network, so, you know, there's only. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> there's the, only, so, so there's it's only fiber anyways, if, if, right? If it was, like, on a fiber to the home network, like, latency, where it's latency, it's already pretty minimal, uh, that you might notice a bits, bits of, like, excessive jitter from buffer bloat, but. Yeah, so I mean, with that though, so yeah, outside of this uh, detour and the buffer bloat, the router itself, as I, it's fine, and you know, it is not causing me headaches right now. HomeKit Secure works on it, so I'm going to keep it. You know, I did put in a return request to the Apple Store. I'm probably going to keep it. Um, so you know, I'm, I'm content with it, and um, I think what I would say is, Eero is uh, Eero's a little bit too much of a black box, and and the problem is they do the Apple style thing where it's like we're not going to give you any advanced tools or or we're going to do a lot of hand holding, but they don't have the backside of it actually only it actually works for the most part, right? Because like they're a tier two person, like yeah, I'm checking your logs and everything looks fine, and I'm like, can I see those? <laughs> it's like this is my router. Could I see those logs? And like, oh, we don't provide those to customers, and I'm like, but you get to see a log of all the traffic on my network. Which um, there's questionable privacy claims about, of course. There, there, there's a lot of questionable privacy questions because I, I, I should, but I do not get to see that. Like, for example, they were like, um, they were like, "Hey, yeah, we see one smart device consistently trying to connect," and I'm like, "How is that visible to me?" And they're like, "Oh, we don't make that visible to customers." And I was like, "Why not?" I, um, I, I should mention at this point, like, we should mention for people not aware, Eero is is uh, was purchased by Amazon. I forget when, but uh. Uh, Eero is now an Amazon-owned uh, company, uh, and do what do you that well with that information and regarding to regarding to privacy issues like this specifically. Um, I am not very comfortable with with the with the multinational corporation be having access to uh, your network logs. Uh, I'm just I'm just not very. Uh... Yeah, and and also one other note in the Lynx's favor: Lynx's comes with a three year warranty. Eero only has a one. Okay. So, so yeah. Hopefully, this Lexus router like stays maintained and maybe it keeps working properly. Uh, I, I just, I just hope it does because it's an expensive router, and I, I really don't want you to be buying new routers, and especially because there's no other HomeKit secure router. So I don't know what you would buy. <laughs> I mean, at that point, I guess I, I would have to replace these with like Wemo switches and not the no-name ones I got off Amazon. I actually have to buy like a reputable brand. Um, which probably should have done to begin with, but hey, it was a it was a Black Friday sale. But all in all, I could say the yeah to wrap this up before we get into actual tech news. This Linksys router gets a yeah, it's okay. It's um, oh my god, it is it is the LG Ultrafine 5K of Wi-Fi routers, right? It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Um, so let's talk about uh some video game news. Uh, there was oh I forgot. This is uh so. Sony this week uh, announced uh, a re like they are redoing the PlayStation Plus and, uh, PlayStation and PlayStation Now subscriptions are gonna be combined into one subscription, right? So before PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now were separate, uh, separate uh, plans, separate subscriptions, but now they're all combined into one, and there are drumroll uh, multiple tiers of this. So we have. PlayStation Plus Essential. This is so these prices are all going to be in US dollars, by the way. Uh, regional pricing will obviously be different. Uh $9.99 a month or $59.99 a year. So this is like the redeemed version of the current PlayStation Plus. 
which gives you two monthly downloadable games, cloud saves, and basic access to online multiplayer games. So if you are already buying PS Plus, I'm guessing this your plan just be, like cha- like the name changes to Plus Essential, right? So like that's that's what's happening is that that thing gets streamed. You don't get access to PlayStation now on this tier. Uh, so that that is what's happening with that. PlayStation Plus Extra, fourteen ninety nine a month, ninety nine or ninety nine ninety nine a year, which it adds access to downloadable versions of up to four hundred PS four PS five games. It will also include some titles, some titles from Sony's first party PlayStation Studios, but not this is key, not new titles on the day of release. No day one exclusives. No day one exclusives will be in this. And last tier, the most expensive tier, PlayStation Plus Premium, $17.99 a month and $119.99 a year. This one offers like additional downloadable access to up to 340 games from PS1, PS2, and PSP. Uh, Premium tier customers can also stream available games from PS1 PS2, PS3, PS4, and PSP to a PS4, PS5, or PC. So you can stream them, yeah, stream those games. I guess that, that this is where the PlayStation Now comes in, I'm missing. Yeah, so basically, if you have PlayStation Now, that's the last year. So really, if you have PlayStation Now, actually, you win, because you don't have to, before you're, I don't know, five, who the fuck was doing this, but before you were paying for that 17, you know, that PlayStation Now and PS Plus, you actually win. You actually, you, you come out on top if you're paying for PlayStation Now and PlayStation Plus. Okay, so uh, so this is streaming access for PlayStation Plus sub- subscribers will be initially be limited to countries where PlayStation Now is currently available. So that is U.S., Canada, Japan, Australia, and 15 European countries. Uh, other countries who don't like have access to the lower pl- uh, lower tiers, which don't have PlayStation. Uh, so obvious the obvious comparison the obvious talking point uh is obviously a comparison to games pass right xbox xbox game pass uh is the most obvious comparison point here and comparing this to game pass is it's not favorable it's not looking good for for sony because they are not offering day one access to first party exclusives on their on but luckily, though, luckily, though, Sony could literally do anything and still look better than NSO, right? <laughs> Sony could literally be like, yeah, you're getting a ball in a cup with your PS Plus subscription. And hey, it's better than Nintendo Online. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is what uh, PlayStation CEO Jim Ryan said uh, about the... I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. It's Jim Lyon. Let's get it right. <laughs> so in, in ter- he said, quote, uh, in terms of putting our own games into the service or any of our services, Upon their release, as you well know, this is not a road that we have gone down in the past, which is, which by the way, is true. Uh, and it's not a road that we are going to go down with this new service. Uh, so this was said in an interview with GamesIndustry.biz. Uh, Ryan, Ryan also said that bundling those new games, like those new first party exclusives, like for example, uh, Horizon, Horizon, uh, Forbidden West, right? Uh, Ryan wanted to say that this, those games would like if they were in the subscription, they would break a code virtuous cycle on code <laughs> uh, in which early prices, early purchases uh, at a full price of up to $70 US help fund the next round of game development. The level of investment code uh, that we need to make in our studios would not be possible 
and we we think the knock-on effect or the quality of the games that we make would not be something that gamers want. And the thing about this statement, by the way, is that on the surface of it, it seems fine, right? Like on the surface of this, like the logic seems sound, right? Like logic is like, hey, the, the day one purchases of these uh of these highly very expensive prestige titles, first party exclusives, like drive sales of hard both hardware and software. So they, they help fund future investment into these into these titles and into the hardware, right? So but and then you realize uh Gran Turismo 7 came out recently um and it despite being a game that costs $70 uh on the PS5 uh has uh microtransactions in them you can literally buy in-game credits with real money uh that is literally the opposite of what Sony has been doing for the most part, which is single-player games that don't have microtransactions in them. Uh, so I'm not I'm not buying this. I'm not really buying this, like, whole argument that Sony... I mean, to some degree, I assume, like, for, like the single-player titles, like, the first-day purchases are funding, like, their continued, like, development and investment. But, like, I, I have some... Like, this, is, this statement is a little bit, you know, hand wavy over, over over all of them. Well, and I think there's a there's another perspective from it where I don't think Sony has enough money to bankroll doing that though, right? Peace Ball subscription revenue is the cash that all companies want. Microsoft is using office money, right, to bankroll Game Pass. Whereas Sony PlayStation is what bankrolls the cameras, right? It's the other way around. PlayStation is what's bankrolling the rest of like Sony's dumb two thousand dollars smartphones. Right? They should just stop making those, honestly. So uh, you, the, the problem with it is, if you say, and once again, I still I still think they should do it, but I think from Jim Lyon's perspective, if they go ahead and say, okay, all day one games are going to be in this new PS Plus tier, whichever one, that you now have a a, a short term drop in revenue, right? While you're trying to build up subscriptions, that's true. So that that from a financial standpoint, that to me makes sense. That logic that holds up is that these day one purchases, like seventy dollars, like that's a lot of like like purchase that if you don't have the subscription base, people are like it's the subscription is low. Like as you said, the subscription base has to be built up. Once the subscription base is built up, it's extremely profitable because people keep subscribing. It's requiring revenue, but. Like as you said, it's like the, the revenue drops off a steep cliff because the, the the subscription is nowhere as like the like, amount wise nowhere as like expensive as like buying a full video game, right? Like a full video game, seventy US dollars. The most expensive like like thing here is like the premium plan, which is seventeen dollars a month and like hundred and twenty dollars a year. Which hundred and twenty dollars a year won't even buy you two games. For at seventy dollars, so it's like you know, like the the revenue model makes sense. But I am just this is I I, I remember when um when the PS five came out, I think there was the whole sort of discussion about is is Sony gonna be able to keep up with Microsoft's level of uh, vertical sort of integration, not even vertical integration, sort of like use of revenue from their existing businesses. Microsoft's huge cash flow to to like essentially buy their way to the market uh, in a way that that Sony just cannot. Like, would Sony be 
left behind. And I and I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Uh, these subscriptions don't are not particularly appealing, but I'm not also I'm not really a PlayStation person, so I, I'm not really into the ecosystem. So uh. Well and I I think North America too is a little bit different than the rest of the world, right? Because in North America, I think the conversation about Microsoft having some actual weight here makes a lot more sense, right? Like for US, Canada, you know, Latin America and that. But outside Europe and Asia, what's Game Pass, right? <laughs> Like, I would not be shocked if the majority of Game Pass subscriptions are probably North America, like, and then some in Europe, right? And then, like, almost none in Asia. Yeah, Asia, Asia is not, like, Microsoft's, like, stronghold, right? Like, Microsoft has historically not been able to, specifically, like, the Japanese market, right? And, like, the, like, the, like, they have not been able to, like, break into those markets where Sony has held, like, long, long, like, standing, like, dominance, so... Yeah, it will be interesting. The coming years will tell an interesting tale for sure for what what happens with these subscriptions and like is is Sony gonna move entirely like move more into subscriptions? I'm guessing yes, because subscriptions seem to be the way most companies are going. Well, I if, I think the play is subscription on the low end, hardware on the high end, right? Gamers like, and I think this is honestly going to be for the PC market as well as we as we will be. The talking. Let's actually. I'm going to reshuffle the notes for a moment while I um, mutter for a second. We reshuffle the notes as as our next topic will be. Right, you know, I think that we'll see that basically hardware on the high end, you know, just going to only rise in price, and then like cloud stuff is really just going to be for the low end. You know, I think for for a lot of people, I don't I don't foresee console prices going down. Like I like you know Series S, of course, it's still a limited box, even though it does get play games, but it's very limited. And I think that at some point, those devices are just going to be replaced by cheap streaming sticks or whatever, right? And just like buying a long cable or something. Because I don't think we're in a place where if for anything but corporate greed alone, hardware prices are going to go down. So that that's, I think, where Sony's strategy going forward. Yeah, the hardware prices seem to be trending. I mean, they have been trending upwards for a while, but they, seem to be, they will keep trending upwards, I think. Uh, Speaking about trending upwards, I think we should move on to the next one, which is the uh, strapping or trending upwards. Good, good segue. Extremely good segue. Uh, so uh, Nvidia uh, finally released uh, the GPU that they announced, by the way, in January, uh, in 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 in, in March. Uh, now they released it in March. Is the RTX 3090 Ti or Ti as <laughs> As an NVIDIA calls it, TIE Fighter, you know. Um, are they sitting on any TI? So this card, uh, first, I, the first thing I will mention, this card costs uh, an MSRP. Okay, a cost MSRP. When I say cost, I mean MSRP. Not the, not like, uh, not the actual price, because that will differ. Uh, the MSRP is 2,000 uh, US dollars, uh, which is, <laughs> like, you can buy a whole PC for two thousand dollars, bro. Uh, that's the whole PC. So my, so I got one question to begin this topic for you. Okay, I got, I got a discussion question here. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. When is yours coming in? I know you've already placed an order. No, I did not place. <laughs> I did not place an order for any thirty series card because. Okay, uh, so in this case, then, do you have a power supply that could actually power this without tanking your entire computer? That's a good question. That's a great question. So, like, let's talk about that. So, this card is a very power hungry beast. Uh, maximum power draw on the card is about 550, 40-ish watts, 550 watts, it depends, uh, on the clock and the uh, VBIOS, uh, whatever, VBIOS settings. Uh, 
So the EVGA RTX 3090 Ti FTW3, which was reviewed by Gamers Nexus, uh, like it has all the charts and the details if you if you're really curious about the thermals and like the power benchmarks and like stuff like that. So it's like 550-ish watts just for the card, by the way. Just that's like maximum power drop, basically. And the issue which you alluded to about the power supply, which is that this this kind of GPU with this kind of power load generates uh, transient load spikes. So very short bursts of spikes of power, like load, right? Like of power. So what what that can ha- what that it causes issues for power supplies that cannot handle that sudden spike. And this, those are usually like probably mid to low end power supply supplies that uh, power supplies that cost like eighty dollars, hundred dollars, stuff like that, right? Uh and I'd hope if you're using a two thousand dollars graphics card, you are not buying an eighty dollar power supply. Yes, you know you'd hope. You'd hope because because after buying two thousand dollars worth of GPU you probably ran out of money. Uh to buy the rest of the parts. Uh so like if you don't have a power supply good enough to handle these transient power spikes, what will happen is if the power if the if the spikes happen, the power supply will trigger overcurrent protection, which which means the power supply will do will shut down. It will shut itself off. Uh because that's what OCP is. There is OCP is overcurrent protection, which, which protects against spikes in like power and like current usage. If you're lucky though, what also could happen is if it's a not great power supply, you hear a nice pop and it dies or it takes out some components on your computer. I uh oh that that that's the worst case scenario, right? Like that's that's if you have a really bad power supply, right? Like really bad power parts on the power supply that's not capable of handling. Or the, you mean like a gigabyte one? The gigabyte one that Gamers Nexus famously uh, did a whole entire thing on, uh, which you should go look up if you're interested. By the way, but yes, if you don't have a if you have a if you have a power supply that's just not capable, it will trigger. But it is safe. It will trigger. It will trigger OCP. At which point, the the, the whole power supply will shut down you have to power cycle it and turn to turn it back on right uh and so your power supply is not suitable for this kind of card so you would need a more expensive power supply that can handle first of all you need a power supply that has the wattage right this is a, this is already like high wattage like 500 ish 500 ish watts is already a lot so you so you at least need a thousand watt power supply right you basically need a thousand watt power supply uh, with a good efficiency rating, probably, uh, and because you, you have 500 watts of the GPU, you probably have I don't know how, whatever the whatever how many watts the power the CPU uses and your other parts like SSDs, uh, uh, other cards in there, like uh, stuff like that. So it's a power hungry beast. Uh, so if you're running this, you got to be careful uh, of of what your uh, power supply is, uh, so it has enough capacity uh, and enough. Quality, quality components in it to handle uh, something like this. Uh, and specifically, this specific version of the 3090 Ti, uh, it had the EVGA uh, designed a very big cooler for it. Like the air cooler that is on this uh, EVGA 3090 Ti is a very big one. Uh, it takes up, the card itself takes up three and a half slots of space. So it's if, if, you're, if you're a PC person, you already know what this means. It's a very thick card. <laughs> it's a very thick one. Uh, you don't. It's it's not gonna take up a lot of space in your 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 case. So be be aware of that as well. 
these cars are getting big and it has three three twelve bin power connectors for the PCIe, like the, the power that goes into the card itself, right? The the cables you plug it into the uh, into the card, right? So there's three of them. It's enough to uh so it's a it's a it's a lot it demands a lot it's 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 a very expensive card and i suspect most people would not be buying this card uh this card has uh 24 gigabytes of uh vram uh and the in the most interesting thing about the vram is that they're all the vram modules the memory modules uh the physically are all on the same side of the board on the on the board where the gpu die is on the where the where the, where the memory where the thermal, what is it? Not paste. It's like uh, those little like gray things that they're like uh, thermal putty or like thermal like uh, blocks of like. Remember? Uh, no, no. From New Egg Drop. Remember, it's thermal paste. No, it's it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a no. It's a a, a putty. Uh, no, epoxy. Epoxy. That's the term for it. Like some kind of like. I forget. I forget what the thermal pads. Thermal pads. That's that's what it is. Thermal pads. So you know those you like. Oh, there's a tear tear down video. That uh, gave us Nexus also did with the tear down like the the cooler. The cooler is actually a very very good design. Like it's uh it's a, like a vac like a vacuum like a, there's a sealed vapor chamber and there's also like most of the cooler is also like a fin stack a metal a steel fin, fin stack. So and thermal wise, this GPU holds up pretty well because of this ridiculous cooler, right? So it is like very very like well engineered cooler design from. From EBG, I'm just curious about how the other other like like OEMs that make Nvidia cards like how their uh, their coolers are going to stack up against the EVGA because EVGA seems to have set the gold standard for this ridiculous <laughs> ridiculous card. So uh, and it needs it. it; it gets hot as you can imagine. That amount of power has to go. The inefficiencies like they have to go somewhere. Uh, so you know you got to cool this thing. And last thing before we move on. Uh, Performance-wise, maybe a five to eight percent performance uplift over the thirty ninety. So, uh, I, I, I no, just don't, just I, just don't buy it, bro. Just if you're buying this level of card, just buy the thirty ninety. I don't know, I don't see the point. Like thirty ninety has the VRAM, uh, unless they're like really concerned about the memory modules getting too hot because uh, the thirty ninety doesn't have the memory modules on one side and some of them are on the other side. They get hot. Like if that's a concern for you, yeah, you can spend two thousand dollars on a single part on your system. That yeah, like it's just not worth it for ninety nine percent of people. Like ninety nine percent of people will never buy this card. It's not a concern for ninety nine. These are like the I don't know if you remember the Titan series of cards. Like Nvidia used to have these cards called Titan Titan cards. Those are always like cards that were not really meant for ninety nine percent of people to buy. Those were like flat or like um Intel used to have their extreme edition cards, remember? Or their chips rather? Uh, CPUs, yeah. Extreme edition CPUs, right? These are these are like like top of the top of the like high very expensive uh parts that are like sort of serve as Halo products, right? Sort of like top of the line aspirational products, more like, right? Um, you, so do not buy 3090 for the drip because I, I I don't like. First of all, like it's not it doesn't look good. Uh, I don't I, like I don't know. Love yourself. Don't buy 3090. I think that's the, that's the just 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 don't. <laughs> Nobody buy 3090 unless you have. I don't know what the use case would be. Like even if you need a VRAM, like the VRAM exists and it's just the base 3090. So I don't know what you would buy this time on if you unless you're extremely concerned about the thermals of the memory modules or if you just really 
for some reason you really like. Bro, you need it for Overwatch streaming. Come on, man. You got to have your VTuber avatar running at the same time playing Overwatch and you're doing your stream. You need a 3090 for it. Uh, what's the power? Like, I, I just want like somebody to build like i9 12900K uh 3090 ti system and just measure the power draw at the at the wall like i just you got like you got to put that on a separate circuit bro like i that's uh i mean i mean that's honestly that computer is probably going to cost a couple hundred in electricity alone for it to run <laughs> like that's an expensive pc not just from a power perspective but all from like power bill perspective you're you're going to eat up power on that yeah uh, I'm sure your electric company loves you, though. Uh, so let's talk about. Do we want to talk about the One Plus Ten? Uh, okay, I, we can. And then we were. Let's. Well, I'll do the. We'll do the One Plus segment in one second or a couple seconds. So <laughs> one. The One, one Plus Ten one, Pro came out. They finally settled. This phone's boring. I genuinely have nothing to say about it. Sadik, I think we could skip it. I think we could skip it because I literally didn't know this phone exists until you mentioned it. Yeah, you should um buy a. Buy a Pixel phone, probably, for, like, cheaper. Probably. Probably. I mean, Samsung also exists, if you're, like, really in the mainstream. Uh, but I don't know. I don't Like, OnePlus is sort of, to me, fell, fell. Well, the problem is their software, they're not using the Oppo software, and it's just not. It's not that good. Uh, but also, speaking about things that are kind of software-based and kind of not that good, let's talk about the Halo TV show. Oh my God! Okay, that's a that's a that's a contrived segue. But let's I'll uh, hey, listen. You have anything uh, better? Go for it. I, I can I can fix no, it. No, I, I don't have anything better. <laughs> I'll fix it in post, man. Say your no, segue. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, so um, I don't I don't know how many people. I mean, I, we probably. Uh, this this Halo TV show. I don't know when it was announced. Was it announced in like bro, like ten years ago? Who knows? <laughs> it's been so long. Wasn't it at like E three or something? Like it was announced, I, uh, a PC gaming show or like I, in like two thousand twelve? Yeah. Like let me see. When was the Halo show announced? Let's see. Halo TV show. When was this announced? Um, this was announced back in. When was it announced? It was forever ago. 2013. <laughs> Excuse me. So it was forever ago. So uh, before we get into this specific TV show, I think you should worth better that Halo has had other uh, sort of TV stuff come out for it, right? So Halo Nightfall with the uh, Halo Five. Nightfall, which I have, which I have not watched. Uh, it's good. Nightfall is the best look. Night. So I think the the continuous joke is. The amount of side lore media from Halo 5 is better than any of the narrative put into the game. Oh my god. Oh my god. I've never I've not watched Halo Nightfall. Although jokes aside, Halo Legends, I believe it's what it's called, is is fucking fantastic. Um essentially what it was from 2010, they basically went to a bunch of um animation studios out in Japan and just had them do shorts for oh, Halo. I didn't know this. And so I, didn't know this I believe this is on Netflix. It is fantastic. All the episodes are great. So like, for example, you know, you have um, Bone Studio, Toei Animation did another, you know, one. They're all great. Oh, this is like this. This is like the Animatrix, like, you know, like, like sort of like little short, like animated Halo like video, like this. Yeah, I believe there was one episode about the Arbiter, if I remember correctly, that's done beautifully. So, yeah, no, Halo Legends should you should you specifically should watch it i i should watch i i didn't even know that existed so i guess that's that's a good thing uh halo 4 uh forward unto dawn uh which was a pretty good pretty good well i think i watched this i don't remember anything about it i felt like i watched this at some point but i don't 
I have zero recollection. I feel like this was a whole story about like training Spartans. Like the whole story was about Spartans uh, in, in like a forest base or whatever doing training. I, I don't, I don't, I don't remember. So fast forward to Halo, uh, just Halo. There's no, there's no other anything attached to the name, which I'm sure is not confusing at all. Uh, the release, uh, made by production, production released on what Paramount, Paramount Studios, uh, is, is, is who is, is funding this, I think. So before, like, how, like, how are you, I think the biggest question is the first episode, the pilot, pilots are always like a little bit, especially for sci-fi shows, like they're always a little bit shaky. Like it's, it's always because like everybody's like, they're trying to introduce the world. They're trying to introduce the characters, the rules of the world. Like, they're trying to introduce a gazillion thing at once. How did you feel about the pilot? As Like, what what do you think the pilot feels like for people who don't really know much about Halo? Like, do you think it did a good job of explaining Halo to people who don't know what Halo is? I mean, those people exist, I'm sure, but like. Like, I, I don't think it did, but what do you think? It is presenting the Halo universe in like one of those um, puzzle box style stories, right? Where the pieces unpack as you go through. So, you know, it wasn't a lot of exposition up front, which I think is actually fine if you're not into Halo. So while me and you know all what they're like, you know, and they're like, what's this ring? We obviously, we all know what the ring is. But for people who, for people who don't know what the ring is, I actually think they're, the way they're presenting it is actually done pretty well. Um, for all in all, I think the pilot was pretty all right. Um yeah, I just the CGI was a little bit whack, but from at least from a narrative beats, I think it was okay. I the CGI looked a little weird, like it was felt low budget, like it felt like it was done in a weird. And and, and I think on the Waypoint Radio episode uh, where they talked about this uh, pilot, uh, they mentioned that like the situation where they were like the CGI is set in like a broad daylight is is very hard for CGI just in general. Like it's hard to it's hard to set the CGI in broad daylight. Like that's that's really hard to do. So like it's it's the covenant the covenant shots the elites looked okay. Their weapons looked a bit weird. Uh they look like they're from Mass Effect. Everything looks like it's from Mass Effect. That's all, bro. You know the the thing about where the the, the visual effects of of the gore, like the, the elites just like killing children, like uh, was a little bit. It looked a little. Uh, low budget <laughs> like I, I i don't know how to put it like it looked a little little sus. i i it's that's that's not the podcast title right there <laughs> but yeah no, i get what you mean i get what you mean it was uh it i mean this is a show that like had already had delays due to covid outbreaks and stuff so i mean i think they're working the best they can get sure i mean i'm not too critical of the like it doesn't i do i'm not like really overly concerned with the cgi like that's not really why i'm here i don't really care as long as it's serviceable i can deal with i'm more concerned with the narrative beats uh speaking of which like i the, so straight away we are we throw it into madrigal which is uh a outer colonies planet right uh which in the halo world means one of the planets that is not one of the one of the unsc like inner colony planets right like is that is that what that means is like outer colonies means like insurrectionists essentially yeah running it so they're like rebels living here, right? Like there's a rebel faction living on this on this hydrogen farm. I'm guessing is that what that is? It's like a hydrogen farm, which is I believe so. Which is farming deuterium, which is uh, heavy hydrogen, basically. It's an, it's an isotope of uh, hydrogen. For those of you 
who like chemistry one one it's a high system. Um, so they're they're mining deuterium, which is like apparently I, I I didn't realize this, but deuterium is apparently a big deal in the UN, in the world of Halo as a fuel source. Uh, and the UNSC is not happy that Madrigal, is, which is rich in this in this deuterium, is 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 a rebel like insurrectionist like controlled planet uh, because they want that deuterium. Uh, so that that's that's it's 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 a very big U.S. government in the Middle East vibes I'm getting right now. Very U.S. like it, the vibes are so strong, bro. Like it's just straight up, straight up like resource extraction drama coming on here. And there's like two factions of insurrectionists. Like one of them is like more friendly to the UNSC, right, and 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 whatnot. Uh, so everybody in this base dies in the first episode except. For our, uh, except for our, our character, a uh, little girl, a teenager, I'm guessing, uh, Quan Ha, uh, played by Yeren Ha. Uh, how do you feel about like this, the, the, like her as a character? Like I felt, a, it li- felt a little, the first episode was fine, but the second episode was where it sort of deteriorated into her sort of being sidelined. I feel like, so, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a little bit. So I feel from a, from the first episode, she was great, and I was actually hoping that it would honestly be a show set from her perspective and not the chief's perspective, but I don't like the sidelining of her in the second episode. How how do you feel about the whole reveal of, quote-unquote reveal, because I don't think it's really a reveal, uh, it didn't have enough build-up to it, is is the whole, like, chief takes off his helmet moment. Like, how, like that whole thing was just like, I don't know, like, it, it didn't feel... Like it was earned. Like it felt like something you would do a little bit later into the show. Maybe I don't know. Like it felt a little too early for Chief to be taking off his helmet. You know, like I, I, I don't know how are you feeling about the whole helmet situation. Uh, it's well. So I mean, I think it's fine. You know, I, I think it's something you have to do for a TV show. I don't think you can. I mean, they could have done it like how the Mandalorian did it, I guess. But I. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's whatever, you know, they announced they're going to do it. And the chief after at least seems pretty good. You know, it's it's a, it's a believable chief. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Pablo, Pablo Schreiber, uh, who, by the way, plays a character in, in, in the HBO TV show, The Wire, which I keep bringing up because it's a very good TV show. You should watch it. Uh, but he plays a character that I was. It, it was very weird for him, me to see this guy like as chief. Uh, well, actually, I got another question for you then. So. All the UNSC, the Reach part, you know where that's filmed, right? The Canada, Vancouver. It's in Toronto. I'm pretty sure it's Vancouver. No, it's uh, Toronto. Uh, okay, uh, it might be. Yeah, it's all, all it's Canada. All it's the, usually Canada, but somewhere. Reaches all all the Reach scenes are filmed in Toronto. Specifically, it's uh around twenty two 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 five Commissioner Street. Oh, I the fuck, that's that. I, I don't know where that is either. I don't know where Commissioner Street is. But I, that's, uh, that's wow, the, wow, you ain't running through the sticks with no woes, bro. It's a big city. Uh, but yeah, like stuff on uh, sci-fi. Sometimes a lot of time, like it's it's it, like it has benefits, like financial benefits to ben- uh, film stuff in Canada. So it's usually either on the west coast, on uh, Vancouver, uh, or, or Toronto. Uh, the chief's acting, I think, was pretty. I think Pablo Schreiber does a good job of like sort of playing a chief that seems le- like reasonably close enough to what I would expect Chief, which is not difficult because there's not, it's not like there's too much characterization on Chief, right? So you just sort of do whatever and it's, it'll work, I guess. 
He just look like a confused white man, and you're Master Chief. Con- confused. <laughs> like, the UNSC in this, in this show is getting portrayed as just, like, fascists, right? Like, just straight up, like, just straight up, like, fucking... The, the UNSC doesn't get any, any, like... They're not portrayed as, like, oh, they're the military. I mean, they, they, that angle is there. That the military like saving us from the aliens, which is which is part of it, but also like most like it's like people don't like the UNSC. People who are not part of the UNSC don't like the UNSC. No, I'm happy that they made it clear. Like they make it very clear that the Spartan program was like abducted children in like the first and second episode. Exactly, they make it hundred percent clear. Like the in like the, in the beginning of the second episode, uh, there's a whole scene with a young master chief in a in a Spartan training base. Right, he wakes up and then he he goes outside with a gun to see one of his fellow Spartans, Soren zero six six, played. Uh, and the young Soren is played by somebody else, I believe, but not not Bokeem Woodbine. Uh, so this young Soren, he's running, he's running away from the Spartan. He wants out of the Spartan program, and and like he, Master Chief gives him five minutes. That's like a whole. That's a whole thing about it, that him giving. Five minutes, which comes up later in the episode. It's just, it's very like, you know, uh, you only gave me five minutes. Uh, so it's very like the show is not holding back on the whole, like, you know, oh yeah, this, this whole program was made with like the, all the bodies of like broken and dead children, basically. So, you know, uh, there is that. Like, they're, they're clearly like, like the Soren's, one of Soren's arms, right? Like, it's like, uh, it's like, disfigured because of some sort of inj- like I'm guessing some sort of experimentation or injury right so so they're, they're not they're not like yeah and, and like and also making it very clear too that the Cortana program is going to be driven by you know killing a clone yep so there's a clone uh Dr. Catherine Halsey uh played by Natasha McElhone I I I think she's doing an amazing job honestly she's probably one of my favorite performers in this show because I feel like she's she's just pulled off like a very good. And this is what I would think Halsey actually like as a person is right, manipulative, right? Uh, very smart. Uh, and, and so it's it's just like a very good performance from 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 her. Uh, Honestly, I can't wait until Cortana appears whenever because oh I God. just want to see. I want to oh see no. the, the, <laughs> the, the non-blue Cortana. The bad CGI. And I just can't. I just can't wait for her to be like. Welcome to your new PC. A touch of Wi-Fi here, a touch of Wi-Fi there. Oh, no. no, this should just be like yeah, a, t- a touch of touch of touch of genocide here, a touch of genocide there. You know, like just straight up, just, just and we'll be all set up in a few minutes, Chief. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! Oh, your, your weapon of mass destruction will be set up in a few minutes. Um, like it's it's yeah, Cortana is uh, Corta Corta. The whole CGI Cortana that they showed off in one of the trailers, right, uh, is not like like it's not like in the show yet. Uh, I'm sure she'll be a thing soon. Also, another thing because I know you have in the notes here the covenant language, right? So, say Healy, there is it just me or does it sound very stereotypical, like some kind of like you know Southeast Asian language? 
Like to me, it's it sounds like a very it sounds like if you wanted me to generalize it like Hindi or another language like that from that part of the world, it sounds like it sounds like a hybrid. It's it's I was listening. I was like especially in the in the second. Uh, there was some convers- there was some confident conversation in the in the first episode, but there's a lot there's a lot more in the second episode as well. And I was paying I was paying attention to it, and it sounds like a hybrid of multiple languages, like multiple Southeast Asian languages, right? Like sort of Bengali, Hindi, maybe a bit of Arabic. Like it's it's like it doesn't feel like any one language. But it feels like a combination. But it has like some of those sounds you would you would put with it, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it has it has sounds. So it's like a made up language, which sure, uh, that's that's fine. But why are you depict? Why are we depicting the aliens as Southeast Asians? <laughs> I I don't know if they are. I think it's very hard to say if they are because it it's hard to really nail down the language and in any way I'll, I'll need to hear more of it to really get a vibe from it uh but why couldn't they like take like a bunch of old english languages that aren't spoken anymore that we have written records of and made something from that right why do they have to pick the southeast asian one i don't i don't know why that's an intentional choice intentional choice Speak of intentional choices, a deviation from lore uh is maki which is uh a, a human who speaks covenant living with the covenant on high charity. High charity, by the way, for those who are not aware, is the covenant uh, sort of headquarters, basically, right? High charity. Uh, it's like a huge base, basically. Uh, so a human living with the with the covenant who wears very interesting clothing, uh, very interesting fashion choice, to be honest, uh, and speaks covenant and is fully on board. Isn't Sangheili the name of the language for the covenant, or am I am I missed? Sangheili is the name of the species, like of the of the group, the elite as they're called, are all the Sangheili. The grunts, as they're called, are all Ongoy. Uh, the uh, jackals, I believe, are Kigiar, um, and uh, I forget what the uh, or the, the the prophets as they are are the the Sanshayum. Uh, so those are like the various covenant like races. I forgot that the brutes are called in the covenant language. Uh, I don't remember exactly. Uh, so 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 in, in there is a scene in the in the second episode where the the elite who was on in the first on the on Madrigal on the first episode right uh talking talking to the to talking to the prophets uh and also to Maki about how they saw Master Chief touch the forerunner artifact on Madrigal and when when he touched it it got activated just like apparently Maki can also touch these artifacts and it also will activate for her so he has as far as I remember, correct me if I'm wrong with this bit of Halo lore, but the only people who can touch Forerunner artifacts and have it trigger are people the Forerunner call uh, reclaimers, right? People who are like I, I, they never specify what reclaimers are. I'm sure it's in the books somewhere, but um, I, I, it's been a while since I've read the Forerunner saga, uh, so I don't remember exactly why it's important that Master, why it's just Master Chief and apparently this one other person. That when they touch the Forerunner artifact, it activates, and nobody else. Like I, I don't. It's never quite specified why. Uh, so, how do you feel about this deviation from lore? By the way, this whole covenant, like person, the human person living with the covenant, it seems a little bit tropey and kind of uh, seems overdone. But I, I don't know. 
I mean, all Halo stories have been kind of whack, so hey, spice it up, you know? <laughs> I, for one, would have wanted a Halo story without Chief in it, but, you know, whatever. I get it. You, gotta, you need your titular character for the... Uh, for 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 the advertising but i honestly would have been more happy if we just had a story folks about Quan being an insurrectionist and fucking up the unsc i think they made a far more interesting plot than trying to retell like the origins of reach and that but you know what they can do them so and, and one, one other thing is like the the whole dr miranda keys and captain jacob keys depiction here I, like that is also like an interesting one right uh, I'm happy they sw- they switched them out with black characters. I feel like that's okay. Yeah, that's that's good. I think in Doctor Maranikis, uh I hope they more have more of her character in here. Uh, it feels like they might. Uh, I mean, considering how integral she is in Reach and like you know the original trilogy, even you know Halo Four and that, I, I I'm sure they will. Yeah, uh, and the other Spartans, they haven't got too much like line, too many lines. Silver team, as it's called, so not blue team. This is the silver timeline, as we call it. This is the silver timeline. So we have Kai-125, played by Kate Kennedy, Vanek-134, Bentley, played by Bentley Kalu, and Riz-028, Natasha Kulzak. Uh, that is that is our silver team. I'm sure we'll be seeing a little bit more of them, but it seems like it's weird to me that these characters are. It feels like the more they feel more like people than Master Chief ever does. Uh, I just hope they like sort of explore sort of the whole Spartan dynamic a little bit more, like sort of the silver team dynamic. That would be interesting. Uh, is is there anything else that we want to want to talk about? No, I think I think that's it. I mean, I'm only two episodes in, so you know, I'm sure we'll have a thing once it, the season finishes. Um, but you know, I for one am happy to see this finally ship. Um, but I I'm at a point where Halo, where I've just kind of given up on the narrative of it. I think uh, I think Halo is in a place where, unless there's a very big management shakeup, um, we're not going to get any interesting stories out of it. Or honestly, any interesting games out of it. That's true. Yeah, that's that. This is this is this is the thing I was hoping, but but that it would be story not focused on Master Chief. But that is probably not going to happen. That's just 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 Master Chief is too big of a like brand to not have in a TV show, right? So, and also shout out to uh, Admiral Margaret Parangoski, who's played by. An Indian actress, Shabana Azmi, very distinct Indian accent art. Like that, that was uh, very, very noticeable. Shout outs. Uh, anything else? I think that's it. I think, I think that's the, I think that's. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. That's the show. So, two episodes in, I, 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 I'm going to keep watching because I, like, honestly, I'm just curious where the fuck this show is going to go, like what they're going to do. Uh, so, let's, let's hope it's good. Uh, oh, one, one last thing. Uh, is this Lord? Were pelicans always able to travel at faster than light speed? Do you know? No, I don't believe so. So is this another deviation? I think the only the ones... Yeah, I mean, it's all deviation. So yeah, I think the only ships that can do slip speed are the uh, carrier ships, like Forward Onto Dawn. The carriers. The the, the, the Forward Onto Dawn and like Philip Air of Autumn and like the other big like yeah. freight, freighters, frigates and stuff like that. Like the longswords can, right? Like the longsword ships and longsword fighters can do slip space. But pelicans apparently in this particular version can also do small lore note but you know so that is the halo tv show that is our episode of uh shades of brown as always show notes uh to shades of brown.com uh email us about halo lore and don't email us about buffer board i just i really don't 
like I don't. Please send nothing but papers on bufferboard <laughs> to hackcat at 10forward.social. Yes, Please. you can find me on Mastodon at hackcat and 10forward.social and one on my website, southingsafe.com. Uh, and just uh, where do people find you on the internet? You know what time it is. You kn- y'all know what time it is. It is the Love Live Corner. It is back. Love Live Nijisaki has a new season out, and we are eating peas in two months. Superstar is also getting season two. So that means we're going to have two episodes to talk about per week during the podcast. And if we do our regular two-week cadence, that means we'll have four episodes to talk about in a single fucking post-show bit. This is it. We are eating right now. So with that, episode one, Nijisaki season two, came out on Friday, watched it, digested it, sat on it, thought on it. And not thought as in thinking, not T-H-O-T, that's weird. But um, so this is very interesting because this is adapting the second chapter of the free-to-play game. And I actually stopped playing the story when this chapter came out because it's so fucking bad. It is, it is a chapter that literally cost the game like to lose money because of how bad it is. So I was very interested in seeing if they're going to just retcon it, if they're going to do new characters. So they didn't keep the characters who are introduced in this chapter, but they are totally retconning it. Different introductions, different everything. So in the game, it basically is uh, this one girl challenges the school vice, uh, school president, who is also an idol, to say, you know, hey, you can't be a president and also an idol at the same time. Like, you're obviously spending most of your time in this club and you're fucking shit up. And then introduces a um, American character and a character from Hong Kong, or I think she's Australian. I forgot the other girls, but she's so introduces um, two other characters as well. And they are both just terrible characters, horribly written, and are just nasty to, to like just read their interactions with. So they were introduced in a completely different way in this episode. And they seemed a lot more tamed down from what they were in the game. So I'm actually very happy. I, I should probably force myself to play through it because I'm curious what the next chapter is. But given that they are rewriting this, I am uh, I'm happy with what they're doing. And, um, you know, I think I should say the Love Live, uh, or sorry, the uh, OnePlus 10, it does pass the Love Live School's Idol Festival, you know, All-Stars Test. I can't play the game, of course. So, you know, don't worry about that. They, they didn't settle too bad. But this season, um, very excited for it. And you can find me online at Chosefine at Chitter.xyz, Chosefine on Twitter. And I read it on my website, Chosefine.website. I did. I, I bought the domain again. So please, my OC, do not steal. <laughs> All right. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye.